One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this. This is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. But we do uh, do it rather frequently, don't, don't we, Phil? <laughs> Second well, time you... today, back in the dungeon. <laughs> Second time in this exact seat today. Uh, you've done it more frequently than me because I've missed a couple. Cocker's missed a couple. You are the ever-present of our world. Aren't I? The driving force of our podcast, <laughs> much like Jack Morgan. Very much Captain Marvel, like Cap- Jack Morgan. We just go Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan Marvel. Oh, Captain Morgan. Captain yes. Morgan. I mean, if there's a drinks deal to be done somewhere, Str- Captain Morgan <laughs> and Captain Morgan should get together. Strong, spicy. Yeah. <laughs> Welsh. Well, yeah. Yeah, um, Welsh. Consumed in Wales. Consumed in vast quantities on boats. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> the parallels are never-ending. Never-ending. So, did I... What games were on today? Do you know, it's all only, versions of one. Scotland. Only two games. Two games today. What's Scotland game? Yeah, great. That's the thing that happened. And then we watched this Welsh game. Yeah. This... It wasn't quite the intense spectacle um, that we had last night. But it's a hell of a game. It's a hell of a result. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. Not Perhaps not as much as last night. But I did. There is something um, about, about seeing the Australian team implode in the way they did like completely fall apart it was poor wasn't it <laughs> I mean let's just take a step back a second now. did you see anything unusual in this game so we broke down Ireland and South Africa in minute detail you can go listen to that in our previous podcast and in that one there was loads of interesting points about the rugby the kick chase the defence the accuracy of the ruck did anything strike you as interesting in this game um one of the most interesting things there's parallels with Wales's last big game, the Fiji game, where Wales made an enormous number of tackles. Yeah, I suspect uh, it's the same again. Uh so at one point they were like uh, about 20 four hundred, wasn't it? Yeah, about it was about four to one, <clears> which <throat> is a comparable ratio. In the in the Wales Fiji game, Wales made two two hundred and fifty, Fiji made seventy. So not wow. so not quite four to one, but like that those ratios are crazy. They are they're they? like unseen. The one I liked is when Wales were seven nil up, and it's not a great start, but I kind of just like it because of the figures. Um, what something like Australia had won twenty five to thirty rocks, and Wales won three. Yeah, and they were seven nil up. Yeah, yeah. Well, so on, in this one, it was it was about a hundred to twenty five at one point in. Um, I guess it's Wales's favour, but Wales making four times more tackles. It did even itself out, actually. So it ended up being 141. Uh, this is on ESPN. Might not be the final. Might not be finally updated because we are minutes, moments post full time. But 141 to 122. So uh, Wales only made not even 20% more tackles. Um, but that's probably because. Australia just fell apart towards the end of the game. They, that, they yeah. in the second half, they could not get. I mean, they were having to chase the game because they needed to score twenty plus and then thirty plus points, but they just couldn't get outside their own half. No. They couldn't. They couldn't get out of their twenty-two. They're, they're even all, that, it was something more fundamental. I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe, maybe the scoreline gives you an indication of how bad Australia are because until the very end, when that third try went in, the score was predominantly kicked penalties. Yeah. And that gives you a clue, doesn't it, as to how this Australia team operates. Well, and the penalties, 
Australia gave away tw- if these stats are right, Australia gave away twelve penalties, okay, not which a huge is not amount. which is not great, but it's it's not terrible. It's not like you've yeah. seen teams win with more penal- giving away more penalties than that. I think it's about the same that South Africa gave away last night, but um, they kicked um, Wales kicked six of those penalties, so fifty percent of the penalties that Australia gave away were kickable. Yeah, which means you're giving away penalties in the wrong part of the field. Yeah. which speaks to something. Now, it's not something which has affected this game in any way, shape or form, but for Australia to turn down three points early doors to make oh, it 10-9, to go to the corner, to have it turned over, to have Jack Morgan execute the best kick a forward has ever kicked. Under 50-22. To the 50, exactly. And it, it was actually, the 50-22 was, uh, once he kicked that, the 50-22 was the worst outcome. A twenty. Yes. It was a twenty-two to twenty-two, and that <laughs> if it had stayed in field, it would have been a, a Wayne Wright try. It's a remarkable kick. I think I don't want to take too much away from Wales because they had to win. They did win. They did a job. They did it professionally. It's got to be all about how bad Australia are. Yeah, Wales. Wales are a good team. They've got some real stars. Like Jack Morgan is a real star. Lutri Zamet is a star. Tompkins is a star. Falatau. Perhaps not what as he was. was, but he's still a star. He's still a quality player. He still has but, a few games left in him. Yeah, and you could st- he will still do a very high-level, high-end job in every game he left. I'll tell you what I will remains. note about Wales is the ferocity that they attack the line off set-piece. I mean, I, I know everyone tries to do that, but the first two moves against Australia, the first one went to George North, and that second one for the Jack Morgan into Gareth Davis' try was really, really smart. Mm. Really smart. And I quite like that. Outside of that, I'm trying to think of the other... I mean, the line-out success for Wales was very impressive. The final line-out when they went over the 15 was very impressive. Yeah, that was a nice, neat little play. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots to like here. But there's just nothing unique in what they do which will baffle teams or confuse teams. Like, there's no... There's no point of difference to Wales yet. No, I and I, I think your point that you kind of started to make before I interrupted you before is the right one. This is less a point. This is less a story about how amazing Wales are, although they've just beaten Australia by thirty-four points. Yep, it's more a story of just how bad, just how lacking this Australia team really was when push came to shove. Yeah, so, I guess my real question after all this is, how good are Fiji? Um, decent. I mean, they've, they've beaten the decent. I, they beat England. Not they did. not not that England are amazing, but they Eng- should have beaten Wales. Actually, yeah, they should have beaten Wales. Yeah, uh, not that England are amazing, but England are now the fifth ranked team to win the World Cup according to the bookies. I mean, there is an enormous drop off between the top uh, top four in terms of the likelihood according to the bookies. But England are the fifth ranked team to win the World Cup, and Fiji beat them fairly comfortably only a few weeks ago. So they're not Fiji are not a bad team at all. No. So let's just talk about that aspect of this. We spoke about the first three best teams in the competition. Who is the next best team after we've seen everyone now? So in my mind, I said this this morning. I think most likely to win the World Cup in this order is. South Africa, Ireland, France, and I do I do count the Dupont's injury as that. I, th- I would probably have France number one if Dupont wasn't injured, but put it in that order. Then New Zealand, uh, then England. But there's a there's a big distance between those top four and England, and then probably Wales, and then probably Fiji, and then probably Argentina. Because those look like they're the teams that are going to qualify. So anyone else, yeah. like Scotland, can mathematically qualify. Seems unlikely. Australia can mathematically qualify. It seems unlikely. So uh, Italy, I guess, could mathematically qualify, but it's but it seems unlikely. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I agree. The best of the rest is definitely New Zealand, and then there's just this mixture. It's like your tier one, your tier two, and then everybody else. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to pan out. I have no idea. But it doesn't really matter because they'll all be gone by the semi-finals. Yeah, and they'll be they'll be kind of uh, two easy semi-finals. I think it will be 
because it will be um, it might be Wales playing um, New uh, God I went through it this morning Wales playing Ireland or New Zealand Hmm. Wales and playing Eng- Ireland or New Zealand. And, yeah. and England playing uh, France or South Africa. Christ, so, yeah, we're not going to get all top the top three teams in the semis. You can't, because uh, the top three teams, the top four teams are on one side of the draw. The top five teams going into the tournament were on lucky. one side of the draw. Lucky, 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 lucky. <laughs> um, it sort of does vindicate the idea that Gatland had to come back. That worked has not vindicated the idea that Eddie had to come back and that has not worked. Yeah. Eddie Jones looks like a, an enormous clown now. <sighs> he really does. Like to to jettison the experience that he did in favour of favour of youth. Um what does what does Tim always say? You always win everything with kids. I mean, yeah, does I mean it's a very Tim approach, isn't it? Just throw the kids throw in. Throw the kids in. Yeah. Um yeah, it's uh, hindsight um, reveals a lot. Um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it's now not a good look, is it? It's awful. That game, I do think Michael Hooper, and I'm not even a Michael Hooper fan. I think he's massively overrated. He's like a bad Quagga Smith or something. You know, like, there are loads of Michael Hoopers knocking around South Africa. In fact, in, in, world, in world rugby, he's not particularly unique. But he could have made a difference to that game because he was better than what's on display. I think I think Hooper f- a few years ago was a, was really excellent. I yeah, he's good. Um, he's quite a Smith. <laughs> yeah, he probably probably is quite a Smith. There's not that many outside of South Africa. Um, England have got a few handy ones. Wales have got a few handy ones. But Jack Morgan, quite but, good. Yeah, yeah run the mill. Now it so. does. But Eddie Jones. So he signed. He, he signed on to the 2027 World Cup. I heard a rumor from Comms. Um, that. Eddie Jones might be off to Japan. So there is a rumour from the... Tele- it was reported in the Telegraph um, and other places this morning that he... So... Uh, that he might be looking at the, the soon-to-be-vacant Japan rule. Uh, so, here you go. First reported... First published by the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, but then... So I've not read the original report. I'm kind of reading this second hand. So the Sydney Morning Herald have, have reported that he's been part of the process to find a replacement for the Brave Blossoms coach, Jamie Joseph. Yeah. Which, knowing what he knows and what he has done, um, both at club and international level in Japan, it's probably not that surprising to say... Get them, get him involved. I just it doesn't necessarily look, mean he's gonna he's gonna be involved in taking that up. I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous that he was England coach. To be fair, the guy has been around rugby for a long time. Everyone talks about how much how much he knows, how much he how much he's forgotten, how much he knows compared to everyone else. As far as I'm concerned, he stopped being a top class coach probably during his tenure in Japan. The reason he was at Japan was simply because he was available. Right, he's done other things in between, but never really successfully. The Reds' job was a disaster. Everything since losing the World Cup has been a disaster. The guy shows up at places, he ruffles feathers. When he left England, the only coaching team he had were the coaches that were simply available. That's all that ever... The only people that ever worked for him are people that are available because he doesn't keep people around. They can't work, with, they can't work for him. They can't work um, along, alongside him. So, you know, it's just to balance between... It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, he's got the experience. Let's give him more experience. <laughs> and it just keeps on going. And, oh, he has been in Australia. He has seen this. I mean, the, the things he did with Japan, in fairness, are remarkable. Right? They are, the, what he did was... The South Africa re- win is... It's up there with the best wins... In, of all time. In, yeah, in international, in club rugby. It's Maybe up, in sport. It might even be up there in sport, just because of how... How difficult it is to win against a, a much physically stronger team in rugby. Yeah. But conversely, you don't fire a coach based on one performance. You shouldn't really hire one based on based on on, on one performance. And that's kind of what they did. It's kind of what they did. Well, they, they did. England did, and it had it had success. Mm. It had success over the first what 
19, still, 19 unbeaten games. I don't buy this. Two, two Six Nations. I don't buy it. Uh, any, any coach of England should have success. Right? Particularly in that time frame as well, when Saracens were going great guns, a, a crop of fresh players. I think almost whether they win all of those games, I don't know. But I think the longevity of the success after that undefeated period lasts for a lot longer than it did under Eddie Jones. Well, England had had... So this this was the the problem in rugby that since 2003 until 2015, um, England had just only ever had fleeting success. I mean, the in they got to World Cup final in 2007 more by luck than anything else. Yeah. They were woeful in 2011 in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. They were a total mixed bag in between. They were woeful in 2015 in the World Cup, and. As an England fan, I watched the first couple of years under Eddie Jones and England were where you would say they should always be and probably I would agree they should always be there. Yeah. But it's it's harder to actually be there than it is. It's it's easier to say it than actually achieve it. It's like, and Ed, Eddie Jones got that. But then it started... It's funny because they had, they had the 2018 downfall. Yep. They had um, a good 2019 both Six Nations and then obviously World Cup, although it fell apart at the final hurdle. But then 2020, they started by winning a Grand Slam. So it's... it's How do you how do you quite judge it? I, yeah, I just think that a lot of people would have had to say... When you look at England, I mean, you know, look, Rome is, Rome is burning, it's done now. So don't get worried because you're not going to reclaim that success. It is not possible. But when Eddie was appointed, a thriving domestic league, huge amount of finance, the World Cup legacy money, they had all mm-hmm. of this going for it. And between him and Bill Sweeney, and you might argue some of the premiership owners, but I put mm-hmm. less on their shoulders than the, other, than the other two parties, they've just frittered away England's future. I'd, complete, I'd, yeah, complete I'd say it's more on Sweeney than Eddie Jones. But, but Well, Sweeney because he kept them about. And now he's yeah. been, and now he's been sent off to a minor nation in Australia. Uh, we can see <laughs> exactly you know, what Sweeney was. I mean, what was he doing? What was he doing? He should have got rid of him a long, long time ago. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I've never mentioned this before, so I don't have a <laughs> long record. But his behaviour towards the press. I'm not adverse to saying stupid things. I'm not adverse to being confrontational or speaking my mind. But his behaviour towards the press is embarrassing if you don't back it up. You've got to back it up. And 100%. Think, you know, and he got th- away with a lot of England because he did back it up the majority of the time. Yeah. But, and, you know, just think about Dave Rennie, by the way. Dave Rennie is a coach of undoubted class. Yeah. Undoubted class. What he did at the Highlanders. Did I say Highlanders? Highlanders? His chief wasn't. Chiefs. Chiefs, wasn't it? Yes. Hang on. Highlanders or Chiefs? I'm getting confused now. What he did in New Zealand Club Rugby. <laughs> Chiefs. Yeah. Yes, it was, because he had Flyhoff, who now plays fullback. Damien McKenzie. Thank you. D Mac. Yeah. Um, and then he went to Glasgow. It was a slow start, but he slowly got them going. And then he got the Australia job. But the problem is he's quiet, mild mannered, sensible. He doesn't sell the game. And I think Australia wanted someone to sell the game, like a Michael Checker yep. or whoever whoever it is. That's what they wanted. And that's why he lost his job. He wasn't vocal enough. Eddie did not get picked for rugby reasons. He got picked for marketing reasons. Mm. It's come back to bite them. Well, it really does. It, it is not. It's not impossible for them to qualify, but it's certainly out of their hands. So yeah. they, they are. They're currently in third place on six points with one win, same as Fiji, who are in second place um, on six points with one win. But crucially, Fiji have played two games. And won uh, one, and they've played the hardest two teams. Australia have played three games and won one. So if Fiji beat Portugal and Georgia, which seems the lessons, likely, which does seem likely, um, although perhaps Portugal are better than we thought, perhaps Georgia are worse than we thought. Who knows? But it seems likely that Fiji are going to get. Um, well, they they only need to get six points out of those two games to take it away from Australia. Because the maximum Australia can get to is 11 points. Fiji gets 12 points, 6 points in those two games. I mean, they could draw, have four try draws with both Georgia and uh, and Portugal. 
and go through. Yes. No. It's not going to happen, is it? They're out. Australia, yeah, yeah. They're out. It's, it's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. And if they do go through, uh, well, it would be England, and England, <laughs> other than Eddie Jones knows a lot about the England camp, England should be licking their lips against playing this Australia team. Yeah, so I guess we should sort of cast our eyes forward a bit. England get Fiji. Yes. That looks likely. Wales will get Argentina. Yeah. I think that Wales-Argentina game's a proper toss-up. There was no... I I I just can't work that out. If you'd have asked me before the tournament, I'd say Argentina. Not enormous favourites, but comfortable favourites. Now I think, based on what we've seen in the tournament, Wales have played really well. Argentina have not played well. They did not play well. They did not look comfortable on Friday night against Samoa, big physical Samoa team. But it was more... Samoa's lack of kicking and lack of execution that um, allowed Argentina to scrape over the line. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd, Wales are favourite for that one for me. So you got all of a sudden Wales from looking pretty dire um, all the way up to the World Cup when Gatlin was experimenting with new players and trying things and then he brings back the old guard plus one or two others, plus it's basically the old guard, plus Jack Morgan. Yeah. and I do love the process and the praise I gave um, Gatland, don't need to be completely wrong. He's going to blood all these guys, he's going to find yeah. a brand new team, he's going to do all this. And he did, he blooded all of them and then went, you guys are absolutely terrible. Rubbish. Go, Give go, me the old guys. Dan Beggar, you're back. Yeah, George, George North. <laughs> in. Liam Williams, in. Basically looks like Pivik's team, but they play better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, not, yeah. not a bright future for Wales. Let's just talk about Wales um, a little bit more in depth. I've always said we don't think they do anything particularly unique. They are growing, though. They are getting a bit better. They, they are, they they are doing more stuff. They're doing more Wales-like things. Mm. They're, so it's um, a proper Gatlin team. Yeah, Gatlin ball, like, which I love. I love it. It's it's the kind of thing that well, it got him to. Uh, Two semi-finals. You go into 2011 and the 2019 semi-finals to only lose by a handful of points both times. Christ Almighty! So they can beat Argentina, right? They yeah, might yeah. Beat Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Wouldn't it be just the most ironic thing if the team which Catalan has been handed, which is like basically in broken little pieces, which had to glue back together, <laughs> yeah, like a smashed porcelain plate or something? It's this team that gets him to the semi-final and then just get flukes to the final. That's where it ends, I think. Because they have... Uh, they would play either... Let me just confirm this. So they would play the winner of Pool B or the runner-up of Pool A, which right now would be Ireland or New Zealand. Mm. So it looks tough. Yeah. It does look tough. I mean... You'd argue that's an easier semi-final than the winner of Pool A, France, and the runner-up of Pool B, South Africa. But neither way is kind of Hobson's choice, really. Yeah, I completely agree. It's going to be very difficult. I I think... Who would you prefer? I'd prefer to be on that side of the the draw. I would prefer to be on that side of the draw. Yeah, you want New Zealand or Ireland, right? Mm. Yeah. I say Ireland because they know the players. Yeah. Maybe there's some advantage in that. Yeah. They definitely don't want France. They, uh, I think they might like France. The difference, I think, is that the France and South Africa. So, Ireland and New Zealand can be physical, but they don't like grind you into dust. And I think Wales can match that physicality in front and then up front, and then it becomes a bit of an arm wrestle. I think France or South Africa just grind them into dust. Yeah, fr- yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. They've got the best chances. Who would think this? The best chance against New Zealand, New Zealand yeah. then Ireland, and they do not want to see France and haven't, I mean, particularly South Africa would kill them. Haven't like actually kill them. <laughs> I'm just going to look it up. I'm sure Wales haven't beaten New Zealand since like the Ever. 1970s. Just haven't, just haven't done it. Sure might, I think Llanelli have beat them. I don't think Wales have beat them in a long, yeah, long time. I think it's the 70s. Wales versus New Zealand. Rugby. Here we go. Let's let's do it live. Let's work work my way back. 
So New Zealand, 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 good. There we go. Oh God, I was generous to Wales. The last win, and Wales have won three. Wales have won three. Uh, New Zealand have won 34. <laughs> the The last win was 19th of December, 1953. There you go. That's how far you have to go back. Mm. Excellent. So we have 70 years of <laughs> New Zealand dominance in that fixture. I feel like this weekend is the weekend the World Cup really came, came alive. Oh, that game last night. Yeah. That game last night is one for the ages. Isn't it just? I really can't get over it. If only we could have two or three. I mean, the second Fran- best... France South Africa will be like that. I mean, the second best game we've had is uh, the New Zealand France one. I, th- I think Wales Fiji was the second best game. Not in terms of overall quality. So what mm. I mean by that is, yeah, it was exciting to see in the same way that um, I think like Chile, Japan was quite exciting. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. But it wasn't like the high quality cut and thrust of two top class internationals. Yeah, that's it. It was a level down from that. It was entertaining in its own right. But the the difference. So I I do agree with that. But what I would say is, the game last night. It was only after the clock had gone red that we knew, and it was like that final rook, uh, yeah. final maul that was um, whereas, held up slightly harsh. Really, whereas the France game was over with twenty minutes to go. Yeah, it was. Whereas the Wales Fiji game was. In, it was in it till the last second. Wow, yeah. It, I, it, it's, we just want... I think the goal for the World Cup organisers should be to have three or four games of the South Africa quality every single every single year. So yeah. France, New Zealand could have done that, well, to be fair. And this, England, Argentina could have been that. Yeah, I mean, England, Argentina was a... It's another fascinating game, but it's not... It didn't have either of those. It wasn't... It was decided with 20 minutes to go. Yep. And it wasn't of the highest quality, um, primarily due to the both England's chosen style, uh, which was at least in part dictated by the Curry red card, and Argentina kind of fluffing their lines. Mm, they they have been underwhelming in both games, but maybe maybe they're just timing it right. I don't know what you felt. But I'm so happy that we've got a um, that we've got someone on the ground in France. I mean, it's made such a difference <laughs> to the broadcast. Oh, oh, oh what's he? What has he said? Yeah, what was Good afternoon in the morning. I was free. Hi, lads. What getting was... absolutely smashed tonight. Sorry, <laughs> would love to join you. And the rest is unintelligible. Ah, okay. Right. So we'll record now. So I think we are definitely going to record tomorrow night. Yeah, why not? We'll see um, what Tim has to say. So I think we'll record tomorrow night to get. Tim's the man on the ground. Man in the ground. The, the amount of money that we have put forward so Tim can be travelling around France self, selflessly, selflessly. Those egg chasers, TMO shipping containers are not cheap to ship. The fuel, which, the fuel to send him around France. Yeah. What what kind of shape do you reckon Tim's going to come back in? <laughs> uh, I imagine he likes his camembert. I imagine he's, he's and he, he he only drinks the very finest wines as does, well, doesn't he? Do you think he's going to have gout? <laughs> I mean, it's a hell of a way to go. <laughs> Death by gout. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I've never had gout, but it's going to be one of the most awful things. Have you so, had it? No, never had it. Well, I, I, I hope I, I avoid I it. Yes, us athletes don't. Uh, exactly. Yeah, well, well, quite quite a few of our good friends have had it. Yeah, it sounds... But they're all... Well, you know. Uh, yes. We know. We, we, say, we say it without saying it. Now, here's a question then. So Tim will want to t- talk to us about the rugby. He'll obviously want to go through the Northwest rugby results. Yes, so we should save that for him. Save that for him. And, and uh, presumably, I've not I've not checked the Marlowe result this week, but presumably gloat about how his wonderful boys, his beloved I Marlo don't know how Marlowe would have done. Aylesbury had a tough, tough day in the office. Did they? They did. They lost to Cobham. Yeah, which is not. I mean, ruined my weekend. Um, and Tok H lost to Aspel. Congratulations, on Aspel. Indeed. Yeah. Although we lost by a lot less than I expected. Um, Sedge had a good win against Chinna. Did that? Oh, that is a good win. Bloody hell, that's a good win. Which is always good. Hang on. As in Chinna, the one which spent loads of cash. Yeah. Crikey. Hang on. That's Nick Easter's Chinna. 
Is Nicky still there? Nicky's coaching that. Is that the right one? Oh. It's another club on that. I keep I get Chinna mixed up with someone else. Find out who Nick Easter coaches for. Nick Easter. Nick Easter, director of rugby at Chinna. Yeah, so they're owned by there you go. a guy who owns a massive building company. Oh. So if you're looking for a job outside of rugby, you might use Chinna to become like a building site manager or something. Oh, so yeah. I know a high-level English premiership player who was thinking of going there and then retraining as a site manager. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Do you beat those boys? Do they need any QSs? Probably, but not on the salary that you're on. <laughs> Crikey. You you get me confused with Tim Cocker. That, that, yeah, bloody hell. BT money. <laughs> um, now, here's a question. Mm. So Tim will want to talk about, um, obviously, the lower level rugby, but also the higher level rugby that he has seen firsthand up and down France. Um from Thursday, he's not reported anything from Thursday night back to us yet. I'm sure <laughs> well, he, he must be storing it on notepads. I'm sure there's been some goings on, but we also we've threatened to do an RFU pod about the letters to the president. Oh yeah, we have, haven't we? Um, now I'm available to pod tomorrow night. After tomorrow night, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts for. About five days. Am I going to have to do a monologue? <laughs> you might. I will be. I'll be available to dial in. Mm-hmm. Um, my time zone, uh, Tim's time zone is obviously. I mean his his geographical time zone is identical, but his functional operational waking hours are probably quite different to ours very, at the moment. Very much. Um, but I will be. I'll be operational and because. Uh, uh, East Coast of America is several hours behind. I'm kind of planning on watching the games kind of morning and early afternoon, mid-afternoon with a, a coffee and then maybe later with a glass of wine. So I'll I'll definitely keep up to speed with the rugby. Nice, okay. Um, but, yeah, the question is, do we, I think it's only me and you, yep. do we touch on the RFU stuff now, either right now or create a new pod for it, or do we wait till Tim's about? Well, where do we leave it? We left it with Bill Sweeney and the deal. And then I sent you the RFU letter. And we said we weren't going to do it until you read the RFU letter. Now, being candid, at this moment in time, I cannot remember for the life of me what that letter says. Have you digested it and do you, have you got anything to say about it? Yeah, I've read it a right, couple of times. Talk. So, we'll do it now. We'll yeah. do it live. Do it live. So, let me just get the letter in front of me. So, I've got it to hand. Because there's... So the letter is based on, I'm just opening it, but it's based on three key points. Now, and this is this is the council members have written to the president, which is... Rob Breers. Rob Breers, citing their concerns with the way the RFU is run. Now, those concerns are broad, but they put them into three categories. Now, we'll do these... So the third category is... Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, I'll just briefly touch on it because it's it's not the biggest and sexiest, but it is important to operational. So okay. it's it's the ways that the um, board is working working is creating division between sorry, sorry the way the executives are working is creating b- division between the executives and the board. So it's like a process driven thing right. within the RFU. Explain that to me. So the board is the per- the person. No, the board. 
or the people that keep the executive under control. So the executive oh, reports the Sorry, board. yeah, let me let me rephrase this. It's there is division because it's, it's not written so creates division between the board and executive on one hand and the council and the member clubs it represents on the other. So it's a complaint from the council that they are not being properly consulted on initial on initiatives and they're just being informed about what is being done by the board and the executive. So this indicates that the board and executives are aligned and exactly as you say the board are there to hold the executives to account but the council also at least reading this letter are seeking to scrutinize and hold the board and the executive to account but are not doing so but that's kind of that's the third point and that's kind of the least sexy well, I one I think it's one of the more important ones actually well i think it is important for the way things operate but there's not any salacious allegations within this letter whereas yeah. the first two do have some uh, <laughs> facts and figures and um why do you important stuff to highlight so number one is the financial performance of the union and failing to meet its objectives yes now the the headline here is and i've not seen this recent forecast but the council have highlighted to the president that the recent forecast of the RF, RFU is likely to make a substantial loss in every year bar one over the next nine years, <laughs> equating... Wow! So nine out of the next ten years, the um, forecast to make a substantial loss, How? equating to £161 million. Pounds. Okay, this can't be true. Now I've not seen. I, mean, I've not I know seen it's that bad, f- and I know I've said next five years. Well, I'm wrong because it sounds like it's going to go on for at least nine. <laughs> yeah, well, ten, ten years. To make that, nine out of the, the next ten years to make a, a substantial loss, how, equating to 161 million pounds. How does any business survive this? Well, they, they actually flag that to say that um, it's hard to imagine any ordinary operating business or governance structure surviving something like that well i've got to say i mean i don't know much about tom aloub who is chairman of the rfu yeah he's chairman of the board all that i know right is that when he was appointed the primary thing that we should be concerned about is he is black that from what i could tell was his main sales point that was the the wait the headlines headline he is black oh okay well i hope he's good then now i'm sure he's very competent yeah but i just worry you know have You've you've appointed this guy. Why exactly? This is this is your headline. It's not me saying it. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't care less. This is what the RFU sold him on. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now, I would hope that there is some other strings to his bow. I think he's in investment banking or some, some such thing. But one thing he wasn't in was sports, and I'm not that bothered about that per se because I know sports administrators are probably the last people I ever want to run a sports <laughs> as a group. They don't do a particularly good job. Um, you're probably better with better with entrepreneurs. I think this guy is from an investment banking background, which again, I mean, why? Why have we got this guy? And to me, it was just to tick tick some boxes, and indeed to generate some positive headlines. And I can't see why else, mm. because his CV doesn't particularly particularly stuck up to me. But it's a classic Bill Sweeney ploy. Look at the headlines I've made. Look at how I'm going to feather my nest for the next job. Look at my diversity strategy. It goes on and on and on and on. And whilst we're talking about the RFU, let's just talk about the women. So the women is fascinating. We were privy to some information, Phil, about the women's Premier 15 deal. Incredible deal. Yeah, an incredible deal. So 1.2 million going to the women, and you think, fair play. Mm. They must be putting on one hell of a show. I mean, that is that really is quite something. Now, if this isn't mismanagement, I don't know what is. And, well, dishonesty. Premier, The Premier 15s, which is the women's competition, was up for sale, all the rights, everything, £200,000. Okay? Alliance came in and said, oh, yes, we quite like that. But then they realised... the. Yeah, the networking opportunities for the women's game aren't particularly strong. There's not, okay, okay we'll, we'll fund it, that's great, but it's not really what we want. Can we have any access to the men's players? 
So they go, mm, okay, well, we'll have a look at this. They did a full RFU deal. They gave him a box. They gave him all these other bits and pieces. And uh, it came back as 1.2 million. Hmm. But the RFU decided to announce that as the biggest ever women's deal. It was a lie. The women's deal was £200,000. The one million extra that they paid was for the men's access. But this is forced down our throats like we're, like we're stupid. And then we're told women, the women's game is simply the most investable opportunity that we've ever seen. It is the best investment um, opportunity in all of sports. Well, why can't you sell it then, guys? And why do you have to lie about what your commercial deal was, which is one million for, uh, one million for access to the men? And the real thing about this, which would annoy everyone, particularly, and it's annoyed the women, because they've re- rightly read the paper and gone, hang on a minute, we're worth 1.2 million. Why can't yeah. you pay us? Yeah. Like, oh, where's, um, where's our cash? Where's <laughs> yeah. my slice of that 1.2 million? Exactly. Complete mismanagement. The other one is uh, the, the O2 deal. So O2 signed a massive contract with England, and the RFU sort of carved out a big portion for the women's game. Right or wrong, I mean, you know, that's their job. They, they need to look after, ev- look after everyone. Let's remember that O2 deal was primarily for the men's game. But some of uh, the money uh, has been ring-fenced. Now, when they've redone the deal, there's been no money for the women. And the women are like, well, hang on a minute, didn't we get £4 million from O2? Like, where's that gone? Ah, yeah, it didn't really exist. We just sort of ring-fenced mm-hmm. it from, from the men. So when they tell you that the women's game is the most important thing on planet Earth, most of the time it's just reallocation from the men's game. And the men's game, in case you haven't noticed, isn't doing too well. Going to lose £161 million in the next nine years. Yeah, but don't worry. Absolutely fine. We're doing it for the right reasons. History's on our side. So that's that's point one, the the, fina- the dire financial performance of the RFU. Uh, the other point, so we've mentioned point number three, point number one. The other point, uh, so the headline is the control and monitoring of executive staff in relation to increases in headcount and consultancy fees. This is remarkable. So this this there's a couple of interesting sound bites on this, but the council have been writing to the RFU, to the board and the executive, requesting detail on the effectiveness of the staffing structure and the evidence of how it contributes to the delivery of the RFU's core businesses. Which core businesses? Uh, this is the council playing it back to them, winning England teams, growing the game, and point number one, financial performance. Mm-hmm. Those are the three strands. That's that's what you want. They give two two interesting sound bites on this um, because they're asking for information and not getting it. One of them uh, is uh, so departments, um, for example, marketing people, strategy and insights have grown exponentially and appear to be top heavy. For example, the strategy and insights department is sixteen people. Okay. Now I don't really know what strategy and insights is, but. There are 16 people. Maybe you should employ someone to get some insight into that. <laughs> well, maybe they're not enough, which is why they can't give the evidence around why their staffing, staffing structures are so well, um, so set up. But So 16 people in the strategy and insights department, of which one is a director and seven are managers. <laughs> so there's, there's seven... <laughs> so there's a, a pretty flat structure, I guess, but there's seven people managing... as Well, sorry... Eight people managing eight eight people. It's a one-to-one manager-to-non-manager ratio. I mean, I think there's some efficiencies to be made there. Uh, It would seem so. And um, the other one they highlight, which is one that we've spoken about in the past because there were significant cuts to this department, which is the Game Development Department, which the council state it's arguably one of the most important providers of services to the members. There are... 24, only 24 people, as they put it in quotations, boots on the ground employees of the game development department. Mm. 24 people nationwide for for English rugby. Well, mixed views on this. Let's just start with the um, the insights and marketing department. A, a fascinating story which I heard the other day is about um, one of Bill Sweeney's pet projects when he first arrived. So there is a Number floating about, about how many people play the sport. What, what was the number? Do you remember the number? The, was? I think the original was 2.1 million. Yeah, 2.1 million, million people play once a year or play play the rugby in any given calendar year. Yeah. Play the game. 2.1 million. Okay. So, like, oh, this is great. We're going to put it on all of our marketing docs. 
they then got YouGov to do an actual study on how many people were playing it, and it came in like something like six hundred thousand. So this was presented to management, um, to which the answer was, "Yeah, forget that. Let's just use the existing the existing stuff." So whatever they're doing in the marketing and insight department, I mean, we had this stats the other day about player engagement, and someone actually called me out on the uh, on the email and said, "Oh, why isn't JB talk talk about this?" Because I think it's a lie. <laughs> you know, if you think about, you know, they they buried their own YouGov, their own YouGov poll, um, which was it like one third of the amount of people that were playing. Yeah, like if, if it was two point one to start, and it's six hundred thousand. Yeah. less less than a third. So not only was it a waste of, well, was it a waste of money? It probably wasn't a waste of money. Well, at least they were informed so, to know that they need to bury the truth. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever. What are the insight department doing if they can't even record <laughs> or report on the numbers of players playing? So if I don't know what the strategy in insight department is intended to be, but that structure, whatever it is intended to be, that structure of um, eight leaders and eight, eight chiefs, and it, it doesn't really you make sense. It's just like eight really overworked interns reporting into <laughs> a handful of managers which do nothing. But probably. Well, the council right to bring this up. To be yeah, yeah, yeah. The right to bring it up. What's worrying is only some. I think thirty of the fifty council members of. I think it's like fifteen plus some others are concerned. Yeah, so it's you've got it's signed by about yeah maybe thirty or so maybe not even quite that many. Now they do state that um, others there can't is, sign it for some reason. Yeah, there there are people. So they both state that. There are people who are not able to put their name to it at this moment in time, and there may be some who support it but have not yet indicated as such. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a bit. That is a bit vague. The, we might get the, some more. The first one is they actually perhaps have some evidence that people there are others. The second one is just oh, we'd hope more people would support it. Yeah. Incredibly vague. I mean, what does this tell me about the council? Well, having met our council members, um, I was phenomenally unimpressed with them. Uh, particularly the one which just stepped down, I thought he was the most dishonest, disingenuous. I know those two things are basically the same thing. Smarmy. I just the things that he thought were important were so distant to what was mm. actually important. You've got a room full of people there who'd watched the rugby on the weekend, and yeah, you know, we're there for local northwest matters. And this guy stands up. I cannot remember his name for the life of me now. Andrew something or other. Come 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 back to me. And he decided to give a breakdown of what he did at Twickenham that weekend. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Who gives a shit what you did at Twickenham this weekend when we've got so many things here to, to sort out? Um, so it does raise questions about the council and what their priorities are. The, just, I mean, that finance point on its own, on its own, is very important. Yeah. I mean, it's the most important thing. That f- f- They put that number one, and it is the most important. Like That headline if it is anywhere even close to correct and nine out of ten years losing money and totaling a forecast 161 million pounds i can't imagine those forecasts are correct i I mean they i my my guess and this is complete guess right is that these will be forecasts based on like the current financial environment they'll be forecasts based on let's just assume the premiership carries on as it is these are not forecasts based on the forecast which I would give you, which is your league's about to collapse and you're going to have to fund the shortfall. It's not based on that. And I think that, and it's weird that in this whole financial uh, breakdown they give us, they never mention the CVC deal or CVC deals. They never mention that get, money's been extracted from the game, left, right, and centre, and that your income isn't growing, but you're just spending your reserves. Mm. Why does it say that? And I suspect it doesn't say that because the RFU Council, as much as anyone else, have been compliant with it. I suspect it doesn't say things like, uh, well, club attendances are down, because the RFU Council are compliant with it. They did this. So, on one hand, I'm impressed that they've actually held Bill Sweeney Code to account, but they need to be better themselves, because they have, they have been the source of a lot of damage. And they're, frankly, I mean, you've got to be careful here. I was about to say underqualified, and I have no problem with people being underqualified if they're sensible. But if they're not sensible and they're raving idiots like um, the councilman that I, well, the one the councilman that uh, stepped down, which I met, 
who was a raving idiot. I mean, he thought the most important thing... I mean, what was the most important thing? Uh, that he had to be parachuted into a club for safeguarding or something. Uh, just things which are... Com- I mean, yes, it's important, but it's not... It, it's not the most important thing in a meeting of rugby clubs. Um, yeah, so, it's just... The, just, the, just on that, on the... On the um, the revenues and the impact that they've taken. So the the council do flag in this meeting that they raise this loss. Sorry, in the letter they raise they raise this loss to the executive in June, and they were informed that um, the losses were going to be mitigated by increased revenues. Um, they were also informed that there was no scope for any cost cutting. Within, within the RFU. Yeah, this this is their words. Council was also informed there is no scope for further cost-cutting. Oh, right. Well, that's it. That's it. So, no further discussions to have. Well, the council then, they're challenging that. They say they believe this is fundamentally a flawed approach. The RFU can control costs, but they cannot guarantee oh, increased God. revenues, which particularly with England playing badly, as they have been doing, like England failed to sell out um, a summer test at Twickenham against Fiji. Mm. They, it was it was fifty sixty percent full. Yeah. Like and I, I looked on the other day. Um, there are tickets available to the. Uh, I think it's only two home um, games in the Six Nations next year. There are tickets available right now for those games. Now, the tickets that I could find available were only the high end corporate ones. So the really? the ones that are like eight hundred to a thousand plus. But they're they would ordinarily sell out by companies wanting to wine and dine people yes, because it's a premium ticket. So, but they're, they're also the most valuable to the RFU because yeah. they will have the by far, by far the highest markup and yeah. benefit. To the, so if you're failing to sell those out, you fundamentally cannot control your revenues, not least of all when your team is underperforming. Here's, an, here's a thought for you. I'm going to take this conversation a slightly different way. Mm. Are you familiar with the bind that ESPN finds itself with? With satellite and cable in America, so I've read a bit about ESPN in the past. Like the, I know they're um, well, they're now owned by Disney, aren't they? Yes, that's right. So ESPN, they are no longer being carried by certain cable providers. So they're not getting bundled in. They're not getting bundled in, right? Yeah. Now, there are many reasons for this, but one of the reasons is because ESPN keeps on claiming they're going to go straight to consumer anyway. So the cable company is like, well, if you go straight to consumer, we're going to call you bluff. You're not going to come, like, you're not going to come on. Like, like, what what would be what would be the points? And this is interesting because not only not only are they not going to be able to broadcast via their normal routes, it strikes me as the ESPN model is going to be stuck because all of the major sports in America are looking at direct to consumer routes. So why do they need ESPN to go direct to consumer when I mean, the sports can do yeah, it themselves? The, the NFL or the NBA. Yeah. Not um, many people, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. If you're a rugby fan, you probably don't like football. If you're a football, I mean, not don't like it, but you, you know, there's probably one which you'll buy over the other. And I think in the United States it's similar. You'll do NFL, or you might do baseball as well, or you, but you're not going to do all three. So there's no real room for a, a full sports offering. So then removing the middleman. And the middleman mm. was the sports network. The, yeah, yeah. Gone. The broadcasters. So now I think, well, okay, how do I frame this in terms of rugby? And I think, is there a direct-to-consumer offering? There's P- Premier Rugby TV, yep. which is a fairly poor offering as things stand. But that would be it. And the RFU, from what I can tell, have absolutely nothing. What's the price per game on Premier Rugby TV? I want to say it's £8. Yeah, so for us, that doesn't really work. As in, like I, I pay whatever it is, thirty quid a month for BT Sport mm. to watch all the Premiership games, but I will watch uh, ten, twelve Premiership games live per month. So that's like eighteen, ninety quids worth of. Yeah, of if it's games. eight pounds per game, like it's it's not worth it um, to do that eight pounds per game. But equally, if you were to it's a funny one because from a BT Sport side, I'm paying that 20 quid just to watch the rugby. And I, I do watch the occasional Champions League game. Mm. Um, and I watched very occasionally a cricket game on BT yeah, Sport. Yeah, really, really occasionally. But, like, F1. but almost, 
I never watch any F1. No. But oh, I'm just talking about Journey on my Skype package. I might watch a bit of F1 and that's it. But yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm almost entirely a, a individual thing, uh, individual product user. So if, if here's the bind. If BT Sport were to offer me, well, you can jettison everything else. Get rid of Champions League. Get rid of the Premier League, Premier League. Get rid of um, Big Bash. Get rid of women's netball. Get rid of motocross. Get rid of all of those things. I would say yes in a heartbeat. But they wouldn't actually be able to offer it me any cheaper. They still need to charge me the same <laughs> yeah. price. Well, I mean, and that's that's where the bind comes in. So my concern is more this, which is if you're doing your consumer. Sorry, if you're doing your financial forecasts based on this old model that the TV money is going to come in forever and ever, I think you're wrong. Mm. I think you're massively wrong because everybody knows that the BT money came because BT were in a broadband war with everybody else. And yeah. that's why they set up BT Sport so they could sell broadband. And yeah. well, that's, well, that's over. And now you look at the landscape. Well, BT Sport as a brand has disappeared. It's mm-hmm. TNT. We've seen seen zone We've seen Premier Sport. We've seen Centaur. And Tanta Sport, mm-hmm. I'm sure we've seen it, seen a few others, and these via play, via play, and now like they Prem- come and Premier, they, Premier Sports, did you? Yeah, yeah, they come and they go, they come and they go so quickly. So if your hope is, oh, we'll just get a big TV deal, no, uh, well, maybe we'll go to Amazon, mm, no, Amazon yeah. only buy very, 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 very cheaply. So then yeah. you have to think of a well, way to sell this sport directly to the consumer. Amazon is an interesting one because they don't just buy cheaply. They might just buy cheaper they, rugby. They do for rugby. But rugby football, stuff. football, they buy the most expensive. Because like football, they buy the Boxing Day, they buy the big Christmas ones because mm. they know they'll be the most watched. So they buy these blocks, um, some of the really big, like bank holiday weekends and, and the Christmas stuff because they know they'll be in demand and they they believe it's like the kind of thing that justifies the, whatever it is, a year, 80 quid a year yeah. subscription. Well, do you know the other reason that the RFU might struggle. Why certainly BT Sport never got any England games? Because mm. the thought is, if you buy, if you won't buy an England game, or a package as an England game as an England fan, because you're more likely to go to the pub to watch it. Mm-hmm. So there's no because it's yeah. a big event. You go to the pub or, or yeah, the club. yeah. Whereas if you're a club rugby fan, no one's showing Harlequins in the spread eagle. Yeah. So then yeah. you get your club package. So I I wonder if the RFU have even factored this in. Yeah, I, undoubtedly. Um, so that's that's the letter. Um, it's oh, should we go for the last point? Yes, please. Uh, the very the kind of sign off before the twenty or thirty individuals who signed it off is the read. This is reading their statement. We are aware that the RFU reputation across the game is at an all-time low. Correct. And much of that is our own making. Correct. Well done, boys. We should not allow our inevitable focus on the Rugby World Cup, because uh, this was written just before, to delay consideration of the points above, and we would expect them to be raised at the Council in September with subsequent in-depth discussions to agree a way forward. Okay. So I wonder one last point on this, which is, is this kind of a re- revenge for the high tackle stuff? So they got the councilman into a room for the high tackles, um, for the high tackle ch- law changes. I believe to this day they were lied to and hoodwinked regarding bad science. The science is not good. Um, and even if it is, I think the way... So what I mean by even if it is, I don't think that what Ross Tucker says is untrue. I think it is true. I think the way it was presented is untrue. So we will not reduce head injuries by anything like a significant amount. So what they were presented with afterwards was like, oh, well, overall head injuries will go down, but your individual risk will not. I mean, that's one hell of a distinction. So I, I, I would also question this. The cause I, do, I would agree that the Ross Tucker stuff is very good for everything I've written and um, heard him speak... Uh, I've seen written and heard him speak about. I do have some questions over the application to level three and below. Like certainly levels yep. six, seven and eight. Yep. Anyway. Just on the high tackle stuff whilst we're here, I had an email this week which states that two teams in the Midlands spoke to the ref and they agreed 
between all three parties, they were not going to implement the new laws and play the game. Headshots legal. Headshots legal, boys. <laughs> so uh, that's that is. A, I'd love to confirm if this rumor is true, and I will be looking into it a little in a little bit more detail. If that's true, it's remarkable to think that there are games of rugby played under a different a different set of laws than the ones that we claim to play. Well, we're, we're watching. Uh, lots of games of rugby at the moment in the World Cup under a different set of laws. To That's this, true. To That's true. Yeah, so, I think, yeah, I, I think some of this will be the councilman's revenge for how they've been treated at, the, at club level. Mm. Because they've been treated very, very roughly, as they deserve to be. And I think there are some good things about all this, because finally we start to understand how the RFU works, because I never really understood it. And yeah, you need yeah. to pressure these councilmen. Same. I, I, I had no idea... And it's, it is quite good to lift under the hood a little bit. Yeah. Uh, completely. Um, do you know the chairman of the RFU, Rob Breers, is actually, I think he's The president. Lim. President. Oh, president, sorry. From Lim. Yeah, his co- his son coaches Lim, I believe. Oh, really? Something, yeah, yeah, I think so. And also, Dave Clark, the other councilman, who was the better of the two. Ken Andrews, that's the guy. Okay. Your Ken pal, Andrews. Ken. That, that, that's, that is... What a slimy man. Um, <laughs> Dave Clark was the better of the two. I met his son at a CrossFit comp, and he mm. was delightful. There you go. Uh, Rob Breers, uh, now 71, been involved in rugby union for 60 years, having begun playing for West Park Grammar School in St. Helens yep. at the age of 11. Um, so let's play 10 for Lancashire schools, then joined his local club, West Park St. Helens, as a RFC as a cult. Which is exactly where Ken Andrews came from. He was persuaded to join Liverpool RFC, so he's very much West, West Lancashire. Um, wow. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, so the history of those two clubs, LSH and West Park, are sort of parallel. Apparently they drew from two... Oh, Rob's youngest son, Chris, played for West Park St. Helens, England Schools, and for Oral, Sedgley Park, Rotherham, Doncaster and Fylde. There you go. I, I played with his son... Chris Briz, I yeah. played with and against. I played with him for Sedgley and against him when he played for both Rotherham. Do you remember him? And Fylde. yeah, yeah, I know Chris Briz. Like, yeah, so I'm uh, sure so he coaches at Fylde. Uh, Chris Chris Briz coaches Fylde or Lim. Chris Briz, I think he still does. Yeah, I'm sure he still does coach at Fylde. Fylde, I always get Fylde and Lim confused for some reason. Chris Briz was a tremendous um, outside centre winger. Was he really? Yeah, very very good runner. Very interesting. Very good runner. I think. I think he'd if he'd been um, a if he'd been more serious with athletics, mm. he could have been a genuinely competitive, um, like international level four hundred meter runner. Well, I shan't comment on Rob because I literally know nothing about. Yeah, him yeah. Than what, Chris. Chris is a good lad. Really, you, really I, good lad. I can tell you first, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, Ken Andrews is one of the least impressive people that I've had the <laughs> yeah. misfortune of in, of encountering. So I'm sure, so I'm looking at a picture of uh, Rob Breers now. Um, so obviously I know his son. Um, he, I don't believe I've ever met him, Rob, but I do recognise him from the changing rooms and often handing out the first cap in the O2 Inside Line videos ah. for the England players. Yeah, so kind of recognise the uh, the face. But yeah, I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> played with his son. Played with and against Chris. Yeah, very go. very handy player. Was well, that was a that was the sort of thing we should we should, we should be covering. Well done, Phil. Well done for bringing that up. Uh, well done. I would have gone to bed. Well done, JB, because you sent me that, which I always I always find these reports and letters fascinating to read through. So thank you very much. There we go. And uh, thank you, Tim. I guess for for giving us the, for the, the giving space. Us the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> the opportunity. Thank God. <laughs> Let us fly. <laughs> no, on a serious note, I'm looking forward to catching up with Tim tomorrow. Yes, so you can hear, hear his thoughts on his uh, his excursions around France. I think, I think, as we are speaking right now, he's interviewing Eddie Jones. So we may we may be giving him a hard time, but he is actually doing something very important, he, and we'll have some phenomenal insight from him tomorrow. Yeah, I uh, I've always liked the Eddie Jones press conferences. I can't help but feeling that when I watch the Eddie Jones press conference, probably. A, with my uh, with my lunch tomorrow, um, he, I can't help but feel like he's going to be a broken man. I agree. Like I don't think there's anything else because he he was, he's been so feisty and he's he's been 
there's been a little bit tongue in cheek. There's been times where he's been a bit come across as a bit rattled with the press. Mm. I just don't. This I could see this just being the end for him. Yeah, I can also see Cocker getting some good sound bites because oh. he used to have some cracking ding dongs with Steve Diamond. And there's nobody, including Eddie Jones, nobody more frightening than an angry Steve Diamond. Yeah. As, yeah. as Sam Peters. <laughs> terrified, terrified of the man. <laughs> so, there we go. Very good. Right. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you, JB. And I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow for another one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 